I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor, and I'm here with another one of your hosts, my dear friend, Monica Estrella Negra. Monica! What, 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 what? What's up? Hey, Monica, how you doing? I'm okay, how are you? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm living the dream. I don't know whose dream, but a dream. <laughs> I'm living someone else's simulation. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's too real. I watched the new Matrix. I am not ready for these conversations. I'm going to have to go think about that. How do I know if I'm in someone else's simulation? That's the twist, Essie. And it's also part of the fun of figuring out. Or maybe not, actually. That's actually kind of terrifying. Well, the new horror story just wrote itself for us. So perfect. It did. Well, today we have two amazing people on the podcast, and we're going to talk about their amazing graphic novel called Cheer Up, Love and Pom Poms. I'd love to introduce Crystal Frazier and Val Wise. Hi. (laughs) Good morning, y'all. How y'all feeling? Pretty good. Feeling okay. (laughs) (laughs) Under caffeinated, but working on it. Still waking up. (laughs) And exactly as predicted, as soon as we started recording, my dog started chewing on her bone and thumping things around. They know. (laughs) They know. They absolutely know that we are just supposed to play with them 24-7. Absolutely. Everything else is just asinine. Like, we are wasting our lives by not giving them attention. 
I mean, truly. To be fair, I feel the same way. <laughs> Absolutely. No offense, you're lovely people, but yes, 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 yes. No, but no, if you could have like stumpy little legs and a fur coat, <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. There's no way you know I don't. <laughs> there. <laughs> oh, good times. Well, I'm Val Wise. Um, I am an illustrator and comic artist. Um, I have done, uh, in addition to Cheer Up, Werewolves was just released from New Paradigm. I did the art for that. Um, I've done a couple of anthologies, some independent work. uh, And most importantly, I have two cats. Uh, Their names are Biscotti and Ciabatta. Uh, They're (laughs) horrible. They're awful. Um, (laughs) If we don't feed them exactly at nine o'clock in the morning, Biscotti will come and like bang on the door to our bedroom. And he sounds like a person. Like he bangs hard <laughs> enough that you would think it is someone trying to break in. <laughs> it's like he should not be this strong. He has like the strength of like a fully grown adult. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. It makes me think of that comic panel of Deadpool trying to shake down Dracula. Like, where's my goddamn money, Dracula? <laughs> Literally every morning, that's what our life is like. <laughs> Where's oh, my goddamn my. kibble, Val? <laughs> oh, wow. I was just reading Dead Endia, also for another comics reference, and it reminded me of when the pug gets possessed by the demon king. <laughs> and then it's like this tiny pug who's like very upset. And that is what I picture your cat being, just like, I am so mad. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's essentially it. He's loud, too. Like, he screams. <laughs> he doesn't have volume control. Oh, wow. Pets. That's good stuff. Uh, uh, Crystal, I, you know, can I have more of the same? I'd love your intro, but I really want to hear more about your pets. Uh, hi, I'm Crystal Frazier. I'm a writer, a sort of an artist sometimes, but not nearly in the same school as Val. I've written for anthologies, comic books, role-playing games, video games, lots of things at this point. I've been doing it a very long time. And I have two corgis named Calamity and Adamant. You're really big on theme names for pets. (laughs) You all deserve awards for these names. Yeah, these are amazing (laughs) names. I feel a little bit inept. Like, my Dalmatian came with the name Pongo, and I was like, well, you nailed it. Like, I don't have anything to add to that. (laughs) We went with Calamity for the first one because we thought it sounded cool, and then horrible things kept happening to her. (laughs) No. So we made the joke, well, well, the next dog we're going to get, we're going to name Unbreakable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're like, listen, we need, if we're going to have one that is truly a Calamity, we got to have one that is... Fine. Just we know gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, that feels real. That feels real. So, you know, I know you all get asked about this a lot. I've read some really cool interviews with you all talking about Cheer Up and also about your comics careers, but I'd love to just be able to share a little bit with our audience about how you all got your start. Like, I mean, I think both of you have been doing it maybe since high school, you've been working on comics. Is that right? Uh, uh technically, I was doing the <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to pose a <laughs> tough one there. No, no, I started writing for role-playing games and like local magazines back in high school. And I was also in journalism class and did the comic in the school newspaper. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that sounds like a start to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't like start doing ongoing comics until I got into college and I started a, mm. a webcomic called Venus Envy. Iconic. <laughs> 
Um, I didn't, my first professional credit wasn't until I was in college, but um, I've been making comics uh, forever. <laughs> my my dad uh, had a series of comics in the early 90s um, that didn't really take off, um, but it was based off of like his life working as a registered nurse. And so he's always had comics around the house. And so I just kind of like, I grew up reading a lot of um, Tales from the Crypt and also a lot of shoujo manga. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I really liked uh, Full Moon when I was a kid. Oh. Uh, and I started doing webcomics when I was like 12 on Smack Jeeves. Just like no planning, just like going full in on just like whatever idea I had. And then I did that for like a couple of things all like throughout middle school and high school. But like I didn't start working professionally, I think, until my junior year. My first credit, I think, was in um, Tabula Item. Amazing. So comics have just been a part of your life forever, it sounds like, Val. Pretty much. <laughs> That's amazing. Was your dad also, um, was he the artist and the writer of his comics? Yeah, um, he did. It was like a, a series of gag comics called Tales from the Bedside. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can buy them anywhere anymore. Um, they're from like 91 or 92. Um, oh, man. You, got, you might have to work that into one of your graphic novels as back matter sometime, you know? I really should. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. And then, Crystal, I believe I read in an interview that you struggled with reading sort of chapter books and that comics, in part because of your dyslexia, really helped you gain a love for reading. Is, is that right? Yeah. Uh, especially when I was really young, uh, I, my parents had no idea I was dyslexic. They didn't really test for it back in the 80s and the early 90s. And- <laughs> Sorry, that that's Ada again adding her commentary. But it's great. So when they tried moving me to, you know, from very easy kids books that happened to be all caps to, you know, more advanced books, I struggled a lot because lowercase letters are the devil. Um but my mother was picking up comic books too, just as something fun for me to read, and those were always a lot easier because the dialogue is in little self-contained bubbles and lettering is usually done in all caps. And it was just a lot easier for me to get into the ongoing stories. And weirdly enough, Donald Duck comics generally have really well-developed stories. But that's also how I ended up with a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two, which not appropriate for a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, parents. That's how I learned to swear. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just just what I would hope for. <laughs> My mother didn't understand there was a difference between books with funny animals on the cover and books with samurai animals on the cover. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of parents have struggled with that <laughs> differentiation over time. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, comic doesn't mean for your babies. No, <laughs> it's, no, it's no. It's a form. Um, there are comics for your babies, but not all comics are for your babies. Yeah. It shaped who I was. <laughs> I do have one question for Crystal particularly, because I did read on the internet that in high school you were goth and you had like a mixed friends group of, you know, like cheerleaders and whatnot. And I think that like when people think about cheerleaders, they think about, you know, bully, like mean girl-esque like people. But one of the things that I really liked about this comic was that it seemed like it was kind of like a mixed bag of people that were just legitimately enjoying the sport. And I wanted to know like how much of your high school experience is actually placed in the comic? Uh, I mean, I guess select bits and pieces, but yeah, I 
I was definitely not the cheerleader type in high school, but I don't know if it's because I went to a magnet school or if this is just a thing in Central Florida where cheerleaders don't quite live up to the, the mean girl stereotype, but a bunch of my friends were on the cheer squad and it was, you know, some nerds and some jocks and a bunch of like the weird girls ended up on the cheerleading squad. <laughs> so, you know, you'd see cheerleaders on TV and they were stuck up and snooty and very image obsessed. And then, you know, my friend Dottie was on the cheer squad in high school and she was at none of those things. <laughs> so, um, as far as like coming up with the theme, were you two both sold on the idea of just like focusing on like cheerleading being like the main like storyline um, as far as development for the characters? Pretty much. I pitched it as a almost as a sports book and then we never got around to writing the sports parts. What kind of sports? Like in general, just like. Oh, no, just like a sporting competition style book like uh, oh, curses. I can't remember the uh, the basketball one or the tennis one. Yeah, or like fences maybe is one of them, mm -hmm. the fencing one. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, originally we we planned on doing like getting them to a competition and that sort of thing. So you had that like story arc of getting good at the sports and working together and power of friendship, overcoming obstacles. And in the end, it just became more about like being friends and snuggling and occasionally smooching. Oh, I love that. And mm -hmm. I remember... Was Maybe it wasn't Geeks Out. Yeah, I think in your Geeks Out interview, you talked about how important or how cool, I guess, sports teams could be as a setting for queer romances. Because mm -hmm. so often when we're thinking about straight romances, it's about, oh, this person's outside and they're sort of competing with the maybe camaraderie of the team or they're infiltrating or, you know, you didn't use that language, but you know, there's, that's, I'm thinking about all the, the sports films I've seen where it's like, oh no, she's a Yoko. And you know, it's so different when we have queer sports stories because they can be on the same team. And I mean, that's a huge part of how BB and Annie connect, right? As they, they reconnect over cheer. You know, I'm just not a sporty queer. I played sports. It <laughs> happened in the past. Sporty I enjoyed queer. it, but like, I don't think of myself through that lens. So I'm fascinated by this idea. And I would love to just hear more about how you evolved that in this process. Mm. I mean, I guess we kind of did the opposite of evolve it during the process because originally, like I said, it was going to be more focused on developing their skills as cheerleaders and going to a competition. And that kind of got pushed into the background where, you know, they had fun doing cheer, but it wasn't a, a competitive thing. I don't know if, if Al wants to push to do more cheerleading competition in the next one or what. <laughs> I would definitely be interested in it. Um, sports are really gay, I feel like, just kind of inherently, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially with like, you know, sports teams are very gendered. Um, so like, I feel like often, especially for men, it's a safe place to show intimacy. Um I don't know. I've been watching a lot of football lately and it's just like a lot of guys just like hugging each other and like slapping each other's butts and stuff. It's just like, I mean, it's more complicated than, than this, obviously, but just like a place where people, you know, feel comfortable showing love and affection towards each other when in other environments they wouldn't necessarily. Um, I kind of went off on a tangent there. I just I have a lot of feelings about the <laughs> no, I, I that's exactly what I was thinking about though. You, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I was thinking about you know <laughs> macho mm, football men 
spanking each other and <laughs> hugging and like crying. And I, get I the love it. You think about that a lot, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you would think I would, but not really. Uh, yeah, only when someone's like my fantasy football league, and then I picture them in wizard outfits, <laughs> uh, <laughs> smacking each other's butts, and I'm like, that's cute. I should write that. Um, <laughs> You know, I was a queer athlete as a kid in, like, high school and college. And I played rugby, which was like, hey, welcome to the family. You're gay. You didn't know it, but now you know. Wow, that's the second gay sport after lacrosse. (laughs) Yeah, I was a softball kid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, because it's it, there is so much in in that sort of connection and, and the care for one another. But you know what we see in Cheer Up, right, is that there are good and bad sides of that camaraderie, right? Like there's some sense mm-hmm. of you know BB being forced into the spotlight, BB being forced into leadership positions, and and the motives of her teammates not always being clear or maybe not always being one thing, right? Like, I think that there's some some genuine desire to to support BB as a trans girl and be like, look, we're accepting. But then there's also some desire to be like, look, we're accepting. Does everyone <laughs> see how great we are? We are so accepting. Look me in my eyes. I accept BB. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's some performative nature to it. And I think that's, like, really honest about what sports teams are like, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're all jockeying for different positions and you're all our team. But then sometimes, you know, one team member gets to be a striker and one team member doesn't. I don't even know if I'm using the right terms anymore. It's been so long since I played sports. I'm like, oh, you got to get the ball in the thing. Uh. Um. There was definitely some hope we could focus on you know, how you go from being a performative ally to a decent ally. Mm, And mm -hmm. we skimmed through that pretty fast as mostly a side effect of BB learning to be more assertive and, you know, Annie just not letting the team dynamics sit and settle like they had been. Mm. You know, when I think about a comic that's set in high school and about a trans girl and a young queer girl, and their budding romance. There's so many different ways you could tell that story, right? You could tell it uh, focusing on the more sports side. You could tell it focusing more on the performative allyship. But what we got to have here was a really tender, really sweet romance. And that got to be the through line. That to me was so refreshing. As much as, yes, Andy's got a bad attitude and she's got to deal with it. (laughs) Respect. I also have a bad attitude I have to deal with. (laughs) Uh, you know, BB's got to figure out how to be herself and not carry the expectations of everyone else of what it means to be the only trans girl. And so I think by getting to focus on their love and their 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 budding romance, I should say, perhaps, it's so sweet. It gets to be a very sweet and gentle graphic novel where it could have been more like, we're going to deal with some trans issues and we're going <laughs> to... We're going to have some fights, and they're going to be tough. And there are fights, and they are tough. But they're also sweet because they're wrapped in this community of the cheerleaders who really do want to do good, right, even if they don't always know how to do it. And so for me, I I loved that that became the focus. And I'm curious, how did, you know, you said you thought about going a more sort of like sports tournament route. 
which is, like you say, such a good structure for sports <laughs> stories. It's very nice. Uh, how did you decide to focus and hone in on this this romance between these these two friends to enemies to friends to cuties? I mean, we wouldn't call them lovers because <laughs> they're children, but, you know. A lot of that transition is Val's fault. Uh, Val is just <laughs> really, really good at expressing, like, physical acting and gentle emotion and and you know, using the art to tell so much of the emotional journey. So I, I mostly just said, you know, make them look cute and Val did the rest of the work. Well, it was your, your writing. Like everything was so clear, like in the outline. I think I've said this before in another interview, but it was just like so easy to picture like exactly, well, not necessarily exactly what you were thinking, but exactly like what I thought you were thinking <laughs> for like each panel. So that was, that was very, made my, made my workflow quite easy. Yeah, but, but Val's concept artwork where like he developed a look and a, a visual style for each character and nailed it in just one or two tries each time. It was amazing. And it made it so easy for the characters to kind of come alive in my head and figure out how they'd realistically act in these situations. And that's when the story became a lot more about their their emotional journey than about getting good at cheerleading. <laughs> I think that's probably because I've watched and read a lot of magical girl stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that settles it. We got to write a magical girl book together. We yes, have to. Please. I would love to. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, but yeah, I I actually struggled a little bit early on to figure out what the the plot through line you were talking about was going to be because I knew I wanted like some cheerleading and I knew I wanted some romance, but I couldn't think of a like a solid theme to tie it all together. So in the end, I came up with this really cheesy uh, theme that I kept going back to of girls supporting girls because it's it's a pun. And as a trans woman, I have to put puns in everything. Uh, <laughs> so the main theme ended up being girls supporting girls because they're cheerleaders and they literally hold each other up. But it's also about how they learn to hold each other up emotionally. Mm. Why does that make me want to ball my eyes out? Like, that's so sweet. That's so beautiful. I never, I, you know, I got that it was about girls supporting girls. And then you explained it's also about cheerleaders holding up cheerleaders. <laughs> but that's I wanted really a story sweet. where the cheerleaders weren't bitches who tore each other apart. Yes. Because that is, like, the the main narrative, right? Like, especially, like, with women, is women always being in competition with each other has always been a major trope in so many things. So I think it's very refreshing that it's actually a very positive group of kids. Like, even if they don't necessarily get things right, like, they still have the capacity and also maturity that I feel like I did not have in high school, but it made me feel really good to like see that there is like a certain level of maturity where they can actually hold accountability for themselves and talk about like very serious issues, but not like in a very like, you know, mundane, serious way, but just as, as far as like trying to figure out how they can be there for each other and support each other the best way that they can, especially with the issue of the weird chaser guy. Yeah, um, I thought that that was just... Wow, I was really hoping that like he would get beat up by all of the girls, but you know, the, it was very satisfactory. Whatever happened, I mean, we, we kind of imply that's exactly what happens after <laughs> BB gets her her in. If you if you look in the background of the, the panels, like at the very end of the book, you see like three members of the team just dragging Jonah out of the gym. <laughs> Beautiful. Just, just take him to the back, you know? They're going to heel stomp him. 
(laughs) (laughs) There's something so important about dealing with that, about the way that boys can be so predatory towards girls and and particularly trans girls. I was just talking about Poison Ivy Thorns. I don't know if y'all have read that graphic novel by Cody Kepik. Oh my God, so good. And they had a similar, I had read Cheer Up first. So when I read it in Poison Ivy Thorns, I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad this theme is showing up in more books where we actually are talking about this. Um, Oh my God, DC Comics totally ripped us off. (laughs) They did, they did, (laughs) damn it. But I am also glad that people are talking about it because it's such a reality. Like I remember as a young person in high school being harassed by boys and being like, going to the authorities and being like, help me. And then being like, oh, what'd you do? Yeah. What'd you do? And being like, uh, I was born. Mm-hmm. Not really. Sh- From there, I'm not sure. You know, like. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was so important too for not only to show BB eventually standing up to him, but showing the way that BB is trying to just not have conflict. Where yeah. she's like, I just don't care. Like if this guy can just make me uncomfortable and, and like, effectively leave me alone I will live with that and then Annie comes in and is like well fuck that and to have someone who's so okay with their misanthropy be like you need to fucking stand like well, I'm gonna stand up for you and learn hey maybe you don't stand up for your friends maybe you help your friends stand up for themselves uh but like such a great narrative right of both like you're worth it there's like that mm-hmm. moment right where Annie is like you're worth standing up for and also, like, you can stand up and not be perfect. I just really thought that was powerful. And I, I guess I'm curious. It's such an important subplot because it reinforces mm-hmm. the main plot, right? Of we're stronger together and girls supporting girls. And, like, who you are is needed here in this world, right? Like, the real you, not just the you when you put on your smile and you put on your makeup and you act perfect, you know? But, like, mm-hmm. the person who's all the other things, too. Yeah, Annie's superpower is basically she's a cat. She walks into the room and she sees the status quo. She shoves it off a table. (laughs) That's why we love her. Yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, looking at how how making friends helps you grow as a person in ways you you didn't know you needed to or you didn't think you had to. Uh, Mm. Like you said, with BB learning, you know, it's okay sometimes to be imperfect. Like Annie is very imperfect and crass and violent and people still love her. She still has a mother who loves her. BB still loves her. It's okay for Annie to be imperfect. So it's okay for BB to be imperfect. And then, you know, Annie learns it's not necessarily awful to talk about your feelings and be genuine with people and try to salvage relationships you thought you screwed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it's okay to fuck up. Like you're inevitably like everybody's going to fuck up. It's like it matters what you do then, what you do next. What I like about um, how the cheer squad is written is that like they do like fuck up a lot. But like it kind of like it it makes that friendship feel more real. That like they're able to bounce back from that and like have the desire and like the want to do better for their friend. Because that's just like, that's realistic. That's what happens in friendships. Like you make mistakes and what matters is caring enough to like, to fix it and or to try and fix it and like to want to do that for the sake of the other person and not like for the sake of like your own appearance, how you, how you like appear to other people. And and there's so many layers there, right? Of the dynamic. Because you get the moments where the cheer team is standing up for BB 
and maybe doesn't want them to. <laughs> and what they're saying is really actually quite mean. And Annie calls them on how mean they're being. But then BB's like, no, but you're, and it's those, it's so complex. And that's what feels real to me is that like, yeah, like we all have, I would say dubious motives (laughs) as humans, right? Like sometimes we're, we're really trying to do good things. And sometimes we're trying to do good things and we're like, and if this happens, all the better. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe that's actually what's motivating you, you know? And it's like, that's what they feel like. They feel like real teenagers who are like, we love our friend. And do I doubt for a second that they love her? No, I, I believe them. And they're like, and hey, if it gets us on the news, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> and BB's like, I do. I do have a problem with that. And she, you know, finds her voice. It's so beautiful. The most common feedback I think I've gotten about Venus Envy is, well, why does nobody call out the cheerleaders for being so mean to BB all the time? And the book is kind of about how, you know, people are imperfect and it takes time and work to perfect your relationships in your life. And the point is never that the the other cheerleaders on the team were villains. The point is that they're imperfect, screwed up human beings and BB needs to learn that it is okay for her to tell them that. Mm. And like, it has to be okay for cis people to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because like, as a trans person, I think a lot about like, yeah, would I rather never have to correct anyone? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Of course I would rather. I would love to never correct someone on my pronouns. I would love to never have to be like, no, actually, that's not anything about my reality. I would love that. I would love that. I would love that. And... If my threshold is perfection, then I'm never going to have anybody, right? Because I'm not perfect. I misgender myself. And it's terrible. And I hate it. And I'm like, oh, my God, what an asshole. But, like, we're human. Yeah. So I, I like that about it where it's, like, about accepting people's journeys. Because it's not just BB's journey, right? Everybody's on a journey in the book and everyone's evolving. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on a journey all the time. Mm-hmm, Ooh, mm-hmm, real talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I knew which one I was on. Sorry, was this po- was this not Poetry Corner? Oh. <laughs> Everybody's on a journey all the time. Is just real. That's just real. Uh, something else I noticed with BB that I uh, wanted to talk about, because my friend Veronique Emma Hubois uh, always talks about this. She talks about how trans women don't really get to have sexuality. Like, people don't think about their sexuality beyond... Like, oh, you're a trans woman. That's the total encompassing feature of who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, Veronique Mahua is bisexual. And she puts it as like, it's kind of like a little treat to myself to be bi. Because it's like, ooh, look, I get to have a little treat besides just being a trans woman. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what I feel in this moment with Bibi and Annie. Where Annie's like, well, do you like girls? And and Bibi's like, man, I have, I have not given that any thought. Like, I am very busy. This is very stressful. And that felt so real. But then I love then, too, what she figures out is, I think you said this in an interview, she doesn't know what she is besides anti-sexual. Like, she likes Annie. And she gets to just have that sort of simple awareness and, and reckoning there that is really cool to see. Again, because I think trans women and trans girls are collapsed into such a into such two-dimensional people by mm-hmm. honestly the rest of us so i'm curious like was that part of what you were thinking about when you were writing it did it just sort of naturally evolve for you or i don't know any other insights there i mean bb is a lot 
of my anxieties about being a trans girl, especially from very early in my transition when I was about BB's age. But yeah, a lot of a lot of what BB's going through is she's experiencing most of her life for the very first time. Like a lot of trans girls just kind of set themselves on autopilot, especially through puberty, and just don't examine our sexuality, don't examine how our friendships work, don't examine any of the relationships in our lives until we start to transition and we realize, I don't understand how any of this works. Um, so Bibi's never really thought, do I like girls or boys? Because, well, at first she didn't really want anyone to like her for who she was pre-transition. And post-transition, she's been very, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> she has a few things on her plate. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, listeners. Do you like the pod? you like our general vibe? You want to see us eat meals, survive, thrive in the world, come back with the podcast, be cool all the time, make money, get cars. I don't know. At that point, I was just... Buy new shoes. Buy new shoes, get a pony, invest in Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go ahead and argue with that last one. But otherwise, (laughs) I am there with you. I'm not going to invest in Bitcoin. But hey, if you want to see us, you know, be financially soluble, <laughs> please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. We have tons of content there. We have, I think it's like a hundred back episodes. So those are things that range from talking about individual independent comics that we like as, you know, each of us on our own together to talking about why Nona Earp, why we loved it so much. Yes, we had a bonus episode about it before we had a mainstream episode about it. Who could say why? Why not? We have our cage match episodes, which are just so wild. We just compare two Nicolas Cage films and then decide which is cagier. And it's probably the highlight of my life, if I'm being (laughs) honest. We also have our intoxicated comics special that we do where we get a little bit woohoo and then talk about weird comics. Sometimes we have a great time and sometimes we're like, what 
have we done? <laughs> and either way, it's pretty funny. We also have exclusive interviews with smaller creators, all kinds of different stuff. We basically use our Patreon as an opportunity to put more good comics info out there. Oh my goodness, a very pretty bird just landed outside my window. Oh, in this spot. We got to talk about this bird. All right, let's get through it. This bird has a little red head. Oh, it flew away. Beautiful little bird. Thank you, bird. So yeah, you know, come join us on Patreon so I can look at more birds. We're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You got to spell it out. You can't go to patreon.com and then search us because we're, I don't know. Bitches. We curse too much. We're some, we're some, they're like, you sound like some real bitches. So we're not going to make you searchable. And we were like, fair. Fair. Harsh, but fair. Yeah, Harsh, I deserve that. Fair. I deserve it. I want to know, uh, what was the decision to make BB Hispanic? And how does that tie into her identity throughout the comic? I mean, again, that's mostly Val's fault. Uh, (laughs) 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 So so the way the graphic novel came into being is originally it didn't have like a set location. It was just generic Americana. Uh, But then after I pitched it to Oni and they... They hooked me up with Val to work on it. We found out Val and I grew up within about 15 miles of each other on the the Florida Gulf Coast. Oh, okay. And then we're like, oh, well, now I guess we're setting this on, you know, the Florida Gulf Coast. So it's this sort of amalgam fictional hometown that's a cross between Plant City, Florida and the town Val grew up in. I don't don't know if he wants to disclose. (laughs) Clearwater, Florida. The high school is based a lot on Clearwater High, at least before um, they started doing their renovations recently. Yeah, so because we're setting it in Florida, I'm not Hispanic, but I grew up with a ton of Hispanic neighbors and, you know, Hispanic people are just a part of everyday life in Central Florida. And I thought, well, BB's already trans and there's a ton of stories about white trans girls. So we made her half Latina Mm -hmm. and sort of, Growing up in the sort of family where they don't emphasize their their Hispanic heritage, which unfortunately is fairly common in a lot of middle class Hispanic households in Florida. I don't know if it's universal, but a lot of my friends, their parents didn't want them to learn Spanish or things like that because they they didn't want them to stand out with all the white kids. And it's not something we really delved too deeply into in the story because... Uh, again, we're both very white and it's not our place to talk about things like that, but we at least wanted there to be some representation for non-white trans girls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we wanted to like have like some of like Evie's culture like in the book too. So it's not just like we're saying like that she's half Latina, but like not having any like evidence of that aside from like the color of her skin like her father's skin like we wanted her to have like a couple of like cultural touchstones like there in the book or like making ropa vieja Mm -hmm. and you know her father is obsessed with coffee and Mm -hmm. i loved that there were the annotated recipes in the back of the book that was my next question yeah oh sorry yeah that was my next question (laughs) i was going to ask like what is the significance of the recipes because i'm definitely going to try them um as like the strawberry shortcake like I, I feel like food is such like an important like thing in anything that I read um because I'm also just a tremendous foodie but I thought that was really interesting that you actually incorporated like the recipes at the end of the book and I just want to know what was the inspiration behind that 
for me, it's just comfort food. Uh, that's my father's ropa vieja recipe. And like I said, we're not Hispanic, but I grew up down there surrounded by Cuban culture. And so you just sort of conglomerates in you. Mm-hmm. So so for me, ropa vieja is comfort food. And, you know, my father learned this recipe from this adorable Cuban grandma who lived down the street from us. And I mean, it's just something that always tasted like home and love and, you know, had this significance for me, at least. And then strawberry shortcake is actually because Plant City is the quote unquote (laughs) winter strawberry capital of the world. And if you grow up in Florida, you know, every year there's a giant strawberry festival that's almost as big as the state fair for this rinky-dink little like 4,000 person town in the middle of nowhere. I remember seeing advertisements for that all over the place. Um, And there was like a (laughs) Greek produce shop down the street from where I lived. And I think that's where they got their strawberries from because they would always have like a banner up for the strawberry festival. And I never went. (laughs) I lived in Florida for 18 years. I never went to the strawberry festival. went to the strawberry festival. I know. I should (laughs) have. Well, I'm going to have to scrap the scene in the next book where they hang out at the Strawberry Festival. You're not going to have any reference. The next book takes place in, at the Strawberry Festival. It's the one location. Yeah, it's like it, a, was, it's it a was the only location. Cheerleading competition slash Strawberry Festival, I assume. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bibi's going to get uh, forced to run for Strawberry Princess. And, uh, <laughs> if you don't know what the Strawberry Throne looks like, it's hard to explain. Oh my gosh, there's actually a strawberry princess like title. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. I believe it. I believe and it. I I was so jealous every year that I didn't get to compete. <sighs> What's the mm. prize? That's what I'm curious about. Like, do you just get a bunch of strawberries or a <laughs> crown made of strawberries or just like a lifetime supply of whipped cream? No, it's scholarships <laughs> and stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, cream. I can't. in theory, it's like scholarships, but realistically, yeah. it's just the college fund for the richest family in town who's, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. their family were the ones who won. <gasps> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, corrupt. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> the corruption in the strawberry court runs right to the hall. You know what? That's the focus of the next graphic novel. That's it. We've we solved it. We found it. There's a through line. It's fighting corruption. We got this. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming this is now a writer's room, so let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Val, I want to talk a little bit about the art a little more. I know we've been bouncing around it, and thank you so much for everything you've shared. I read in an interview, I think, with United by Pop that this was maybe your first full-color comic you'd done. Is that correct? Uh, this was my first uh, graphic novel, so it's, um, it is... Yeah, the first full-color comic I've done, because I, I don't really count, like, stuff that I did in school that was, like, two pages. But, yeah, this was the first full-length, like, graphic novel that I did. Um, I was approached by Ari Yarwood, um, I think, in May of 2018, um, while I was still in school. We had met my freshman year at, like, the Editor's Day thing that we had as CAD, or we'd have, like, editors from, like, different... Uh, publishers like come and talk to students and I had sat with them and well, I had like a terrible portfolio my freshman year. I didn't understand the difference between RGB and CMYK. So I had all of these like color prints that were like just so muddy <laughs> and like bad to look at. Um, but Ari followed me on Twitter after that 
and then connected with me three years later when it became clear that I actually like kind of understood that I, what I was doing a little <laughs> bit <laughs> and might have been capable of like doing a real comic. <laughs> so, what, I mean, I can't speak to that. That sounds very, very uh, self-effacing is what I'll say. <laughs> but what I remember reading too is you said that you had to sort of evolve your inking process so that your your inks would work better with color? Yeah, um, I worked um, pretty much exclusively um, traditionally uh, up until mm. I started working on Cheer Up. And I really didn't understand how to color digitally until like my senior year of school. And afterwards, <laughs> I feel like I only really got a grip on it like last year. But like I'd always been inking um, for black and white comics, which is very different from inking for color. Uh, and it was like, it was difficult for me to like figure out like what space I needed to like not fill with like a spot black ink and stuff that I normally would because like I'm going to mm. pop some color on it later. It was really hard for me to like visualize like what a page would look like once it had colors on it, like versus just like, this is the page and this is how it's going to look forever with like black and white comics. Mm -hmm. Um so it was just like it was developing a style that was a little bit simpler than I was used to, which was, you know, good because it was more efficient. It was faster for me to ink than it would have been normally. Um, but it was just kind of like changing my whole like way of thinking around comics. I love listening to you develop your process because from my perspective, you just emerged fully formed from the head of Zeus, <laughs> like already like a god tier artist. Thank you. I'm glad it appears that way. I'm like always <laughs> scrambling in the background, like, oh God, especially with like technology and stuff. I like really setting up for like setting up my microphone today. <laughs> you are not alone, Val. Yeah, truly. We have spent many hours of our lives troubleshooting setups. So Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Monica's like troubleshooting is what we've been doing. Mm -hmm, yes, Monica. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I did not swearing work, and crying. It's troubleshooting. Ninety-five percent of the day, troubleshooting tech, troubleshooting my life. <laughs> what else is there to do? I came on this podcast to have a good time. I'm so attacked right now. <laughs> oh man! Well, you know, there's one character we haven't talked about who is near and dear to my heart, which is Edie, the non-binary. At least I'm reading between the lines. They say all but that. <laughs> they say, I'm neither a boy nor a girl. And they're on the cheer team. And there's this, oh, my God, I lost my fucking mind when this happened. When they they get flowers for the new girls. And they're like, here, oh, my gosh, we're so excited you're on the team. And they're like, but Edie, we got you a new hat. I lost it. I was weeping, <laughs> weeping. And I just want to know a little bit about where Edie came from and why that felt so important to you on this very girl power team and I don't mean that in a, a diminutive way. I mean that as a good thing to have this non-binary character who feels in and outside of the team. All right. I know it's a cop out to keep saying this, but again, this is all Val's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's clear you guys are just like such a creative team, you know? It's amazing. Originally, I had no idea there was going to be like a non-binary I don't even think Edie knows if they're non-binary or a young trans man or what just yet. I think kind of like BB figuring out her sexuality, Edie's still figuring out Edie. But that only exists because I told Val to, you know, sketch me out a team of cheerleaders and make sure they're diverse because, you know, we're going for like a Central Florida vibe. And Val came back with, 
a very diverse team that included a little adorable non-binary Edie on it. And we sort of developed them from there. Account for yourself, Val. (laughs) (laughs) Edie kind of like unconsciously looks a lot like how I did when I was in high school. <laughs> I didn't see any similarities between your your fo- or your uh, headshot you drew of yourself and Edie. <laughs> like, I don't look very much like that anymore. I'm, like, kind of blonde, and I have long hair now. But, like, back when I was first drawing this book, that's pretty much, pretty much what I looked like. Um, I feel like, I don't know, like, this wasn't necessarily intentional, but, like, Edie's kind of, like, aversion to quote-unquote like girly stuff feels very like young like young non-binary person young like trans mask person Mm -hmm. like going through that phase of like oh I like I really I just want to be away from girl shit I just like don't want to like have to like wear any girl stuff or like do any like girly stuff um and you know like sometimes that's how you always feel and sometimes like what happened to me like you kind of you know, reconnect with femininity in a, like, new, cool, trans way that's, like, not forced mm-hmm. on you. Hell um, yeah. That's something that I would I would like to see <laughs> happening with Edie because it just, like, kind of feels feels realistic. But th- those, are, those are my Edie thoughts. I have a lot of Edie thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I love Edie. I think it's, it's so nice to have a character who is in evolution. Like, Edie Mm -hmm. knows that, like, Edie knows something, but is discovering the language and the sort of, like, external factors that match that internal knowing, which I think is really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting, the way Val brings it up, how just about every trans person is encouraged to reject femininity, Mm because trans masks and non-binary folk are, are just kind of generically encouraged in the sense of, well, if you like anything feminine, then you're not really a man. And if you like anything feminine, then you can't be non-binary because we all know masculine is the gender default. Uh, <laughs> but even trans mm-hmm. women are, face a lot of pressure to like transition and not be like other girls and not get too into girly stuff or else liking girly stuff means you're not a man, but also liking girly stuff means you're not a woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I... I for me, a huge point in my transition, and it sounds like maybe something similar happened for you, Val, and I don't know if, if this resonates at all, Crystal, but was I I realized I was trying to scrub, like, you know, scrub the internet, like scrub all the femininity and all the softness from myself and from my identity. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was, um, I listened to like a TED Talk, you know? You know how sometimes you get a TED Talk and you're like, I guess that one actually was good. Like most of this <laughs> I hate, but this one was great. Sometimes they get you. <laughs> And it was a trans man who had uh, decided to become pregnant and give birth. And it was about his experience of sort of understanding himself and his gender and and connecting with femininity and, and, you know, sort of what we might call traditional femininity through that process. And, you know, it, it completely changed me to think like, oh, what? So I don't want to, I don't want to be a man. I'm not a man. That's not who I am. And even if I was a man, like, we need femininity. It's a piece of who we are. We need yeah. softness. We need tenderness. And, like, I'm not going to help myself heal at all by trying yeah. to, like, carve that out of my chest is what it felt like I was in the act of doing. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love I love the idea of that being part of Edie's arc. I think that's really exciting to think about. Like you were saying, Crystal, like, reckoning with this, this femininity that's so out of bounds for trans people. Mm-hmm. That we're not spo- no, no, no. That's not. Don't touch that. That's not yours. You know. Yeah, 
honestly, I kind of feel like femininity is something that's discouraged in everybody. Mm. Yeah. Whether you're cisgender or trans, whether you're assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Mm. Yeah. That's like I, when I first, you know, decided I wanted to start transitioning, like, I guess I didn't realize it necessarily at the time, but like, I really wanted to just like not have to deal with misogyny anymore. And it took (laughs) kind of realizing like, no, you're going to have to deal with it no matter like who you are. Like it affects everyone in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like you're just going to find all of like the new and horrific ways that like misogyny will like affect you as like Mm. a trans person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's interesting because the trans femme route is very similar where uh, you you go from being read as male and thinking you don't deal with misogyny to being read as female and getting just the fire hose in the face of misogyny. But yeah. once you kind of get used to it and catch your breath, you realize, oh, I was dealing with a ton of misogyny before. Like, wait, it was know. misogyny the whole time? <laughs> yeah, always was. <laughs> Like, oh, oh, this is why everybody got mad when I, you know, cried at Snow White or, you know, when I played with stuffed animals, even though I was like 11 or 12 years old. And that was beyond the cutoff limit for expressing emotion. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, I feel like I'm falling through space. Like, like (laughs) my brain's making so many connections, but I'm like, oh, my God. What does it mean? All the red string on the board, like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm going to draw these circles around Misogyny all the way down. (laughs) God, thanks, patriarchy. (laughs) Sure did a lot of good for my life. Nope, you ruined all of the good parts. But I'm salvaging them. Like, I feel like so many problems in society would be solved if we just, you know, encouraged men to feel pretty once in a while and play with stuffed animals more and let themselves coo over adorable cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, so many thoughts. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Not to segue away, because I think it's still connected, but something that I thought about a lot and then I read an interview with you, Val, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and like parse this, like not carefully, but thoughtfully, which is, It is so beautiful to see so many fat bodies. It's so beautiful to see so much body diversity in Cheer Up. And I know that you don't like to be praised for that because you see that as part of the job of the comic artist is is actually to show a diversity of bodies because guess what? Reality is filled with diverse bodies. Yeah. So, you know, as a fat person, it just seeing you know, Annie's round little self and then seeing Annie's mom's big ass tattoos on her big fat arms. Like that felt so beautiful and important to me. And so I want to talk about it, but I also know you don't like being (laughs) praised about it. So I'm having a hard time finding my question. (laughs) But I think it's something like, you know, why does it matter? Why do we need to see a diversity of bodies? And why is that the job of the comic artist? Perhaps we can talk more generally about that. Um... Like you said, like, it just reflects reality to, like, see fat people, like, doing stuff. Because, like, fat people are everywhere, always, you know, doing stuff. Um, And I feel like fat people, like, when they appear in media, when they appear in comics, are kind of, like, always background characters or, like, side characters if they're there at all. And so they're just, like, not given any, like, interiority. (laughs) Like, you just don't know what this person is thinking or feeling. And, like, you can't necessarily empathize with them in the same way and so like I really I want 
to see more like fat people in protagonist roles in roles where like you follow their point of view. Um, and honestly, like with Cheer Up, like I wish that I had gone, gone a little bit harder <laughs> um, with with like with regards to body diversity. Um, when I designed Annie, I like wasn't necessarily like thinking that like she was a fat girl. She was like about the same size as me, like when I was in high school. So it's like, I, I feel like she exists in this place where like she's kind of like Schrodinger's fat girl. Like some people like will say that she's fat. Some people will say that she isn't or that she's chubby. Um, so like, I just like, I would like to, I would have preferred to like have a character where it's like, you can't separate that from them. Like they are fat and like, you can't, it's not up for debate. It's not like, you know, a Schrodinger's cat situation. And I mean, we have that with Celeste and a couple of other members of the cheer team, but yeah, yeah. yeah Annie's, Annie's not quite fat so much as like stout. I don't like it's great to see the diversity of of builds in it but yeah I definitely see what what Val means where we didn't really we didn't get a chance to really showcase any characters who their size really impacted their story beyond like I think at one point Tasha calls Annie a fat ass because you know we're gonna have to launch her yeah and Annie's about like the size where like she would probably be made fun of by other girls but like probably wouldn't hear anything from her doctor yeah Eddie's definitely built for sports, but I I don't think at any point we really communicate the idea that like she feels fat or or identifies not identifies as God. I'm so sick of that phrase. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't think she's at the point where she has to like feel self conscious about where she's shopping for clothes or anything mm-hmm. like that. I don't think she's really too far outside of like what you see on girls every day in every high school in America. Or like how you see, like, she's kind of like the size that you would see, like the the, the biggest size that like a character gets in like most comics. And it's like, yeah. oh, I would like to push beyond that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is exactly is, is you know, like, but, but I will say like her mom is fat. Like, yeah. and maybe we don't see how that impacts her life, but she takes up the, the panel in this really uh, powerful way. And so, you know, maybe that's, uh, hey, uh, we'll see what happens in uh, the next uh, uh, volume. But, uh, you know, I think it it still feels relevant despite, I see your points very much, that, like, she's a small fat if she's a fat at all. And I, yeah. and I totally get that. And it's like, small fats, I was a small fat for a very long time. Very different privilege than, you know, yeah. the rest of us, the, the, the regular fats, as we like to call ourselves. Um, yeah, I think it's called out, like, in the character descriptions that BB is sort of borderline unhealthy then. Mm-hmm. Well, and it fits with, like, all the other pressures she's dealing with, and we know that, that teenagers and, and teenage girls, you know, subvert a lot of that pressure into controlling their, their food and their exercise. So that makes sense. You know, Val, while we're talking about body size, I just want to talk about Delicatess really quickly, which is this short comic that I read on your website about an opera singer who is decidedly fat. She gets criticized for her size in some parts. And she also dealing with some gender feels. And that comic was so, like, it's so short, but it's so evocative for me. I was curious about where it came from. Like, why did you want to write about this fat opera character with, like, gender feels? And part of the reason for me, I guess, is there's not very much representation of fat trans people. And that's something that I find really challenging as a fat trans person is like how much 
of the conversation we have around transness is around fitting into a very narrow mold and in many cases and passing and sort of, okay, like how can you make your body this thing? And I I know for me, like I'll, I'll never be able to. I'm a fat person. Like I will always look more round and more soft and more what people in our society would call feminine because that's like, that's that's the junk I got in my trunk, y'all. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, so I guess there's something there about like the importance of fat trans characters and yeah. also like, why did it come about that way in Delicatesse? Um, trying to think about like when I started writing it, um, it's around the time I started like getting more interested in learning about and learning about opera. Um, opera has been important to like older people in my family. Pavarotti was like my granddad's favorite opera singer and I was really close with him. And as I was reading about opera, um, I started like learning about like vocal ranges and like learning about like the contralto. Uh, and I think, um, oh God, what was that? Um, that like contralto is like only play. There was like a, like a little like term for it and I can't remember, but they like usually only play like old women and men kind of like this vocal association with like a deep voice, like always having to be associated with like age or associated with masculinity, which is like fucked up in its own right. So I wanted to like have a character who, you know, like, I don't want to say is a woman because like Primrose probably is not, um, <laughs> but a character who has been raised as a girl and has always just kind of been fat, had a deeper voice, like kind of not been allowed to exist like in this feminine space, the way that like her thin peers were able to, and finally like being given that chance to exist in that space, to like, to be beautiful and feminine, to be like this prima donna and like finding that it just doesn't fulfill her. Like it makes her feel worse in certain ways. Um, and she kind of like, I don't like want to explain myself too much because I want to leave a lot of like her and Henri's uh, relationship a little bit ambiguous with what happens there. Um, but like she finds herself, she doesn't feel welcome in this feminine space. She doesn't feel valued by the men around her like she thought that she would be. Like she just feels like everyone has like an ulterior motive. It's not like this comfortable achievement that she thought it would be. Um, that's kind of like, and I felt that way when I was an elder teen, which is like very different from Primrose's situation. Um, I struggled with uh, an eating disorder when I was a teenager. And so like when I was an older teenager, I was very thin and like, I finally felt like I was able to, you know, wear all of this like revealing feminine stuff that I hadn't felt I had the access to before. And it just like kind of felt like nightmarish, like being perceived in that way. And I couldn't understand why, like if it was because I had like seen the outside of that before, like what it's like to not be welcome to that space. And I just like couldn't ever experience it the way it was meant to be experienced or like if I just wasn't a woman at all. And uh, spoiler alert, it's both. (laughs) 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 I was going to say the same thing for me. Yeah, that feels like a very real experience uh, akin to my own. But Crystal, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I am so lucky to be working with Val. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, I'm so lucky to be talking to you all. I I get all the warm and fuzzies. I'm feeling them. Uh, Monica, did you have other questions about Cheer Up? Not necessarily, but I do have one question about, uh, I just want to gain some perspective from the both of you, but where do you see the future of queer comics and graphic novels in like 10 to 20 years? Like what what things do you see um, 
happening within the genre, um, specifically with younger uh, queer trans writers? I know that's a really big question. I just want, I mean, like whatever perspectives you have or like what kind of stories you wish to see out there. I just want to see a lot more diversity of stories for, you know, young trans kids and trans teenagers figuring things out and trans people in their early adult years that are that are stories aimed at trans people, but are still engaging for cis people to read and hopefully foster some empathy. But wow, thinking about what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years is real scary, considering mm-hmm. all of the stories about banning books mm-hmm. that have been in the news the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like hopeful and afraid at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, my my instinct is to is to turn more to to looking at indie stuff to mm-hmm. see like the real just like raw like kind of sometimes uncomfortable experience of being trans which I think is important and I just honestly don't yeah. think we're going to be able to see on the same scale in comics that aren't self published mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely I'm really grateful that we got to show BB being you know as much of a mess as she is yeah. through Oni but. I mean, if you really showcase a trans person who's a disaster the way I was, I don't know that you'd get that published even through Oni. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's like, there's so much talent out there. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what makes me really hopeful. Just like seeing like trans people like self-publishing their own work and like being very honest about their own experiences. What makes me worried is like, that's not kind of given the same platform and the same money mm-hmm. behind it as like stories that are more comfortable right yeah absolutely well and that's actually like a perfect segue because i I still wanted to ask you crystal a little bit about gamma flight and so (laughs) gamma flight like it's tricksy you have this big splash because you have charlene who is Mm -hmm. this trans woman character but then you got like a lot of intense backlash i you know i'm trying to remember something i thought was very boring because i really liked gamma flight and so i didn't care about all the backlash (laughs) but you know for me it was this beautiful story because i i saw gamma flight as about being about these these villain type characters creating their own little found family to Mm -hmm. change the world for the better and it made sense to me that that Charlene would be a part of of that crew and helping them sort of reclaim their own body (laughs) autonomy even but I'm curious, you know, it was a wild ride uh, for you there at the beginning. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> um, and, you know, what do you think about Gamma Flight now, now that it's it's complete and uh, so fucking cool? <laughs> Gamma Flight was a ton of fun. I, I really wish we'd been picked up as an ongoing series so we could have explored those dynamics a little more because... Me too! You know, 20 pages a month is not a lot to try and explore. I mean, Charlene's got a complicated backstory, but everybody on that team had so much damage. To Tanya in particular, uh, Mm -hmm. Mary, I really wanted to get into her damage because I related to it so hard as like a kid growing up uh, just because, you know, she was skinny and she wasn't really you know she didn't get to feel attractive she didn't get to feel powerful she mostly just tried to survive and the one time people mistakenly thought she was cool you know she didn't correct them she let them assume and it bit her on the butt and destroyed her life and now she's got power and she's always used that for you know very selfish gains so she's just now starting to develop and i just it it feels like a really Sorry, I'm going off on tangents. Uh, <laughs> Love a tangent. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, no, it was a ton of fun and it would have been a lot of fun to to develop the characters a little more. I mean, the big backlash I really got over the book was, you know, in the very first issue, there's a line from Charlene about, you know, her sort of boyfriend. They've got sort of a, are they working towards something? Mm -hmm. And I don't think they know, uh, is a Sasquatch. Because <laughs> uh, comics. Sas yes, because comics. Uh <laughs> He's got the brain of a neurotic psychologist stuck in the body of a Sasquatch. And he's really struggling with that because, you know, it's a body that's bigger and hairier and more full of hormones that he doesn't like than he's used to. And he tries to relate to Charlene about this, you know, because he's stuck in the body of a monster and he uses that more or less that language. And she tenses up at that and is like, no, no, that is not the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't even remember the line exactly. It's like, my body isn't monstrous, it's transgender, and I like it. And it storms out of the room, and the art ended up looking way more like an old 1950s like romance comic cover than was really called for in the the panel descriptions, but she was just supposed to like get cold and storm out, and instead we've got this sort of like oh, eye drama moment. And so we got a lot of flack over like, oh, it's such a stilted line. And, you know, why did you shoehorn this in there? And, you know, why didn't you treat this with any nuance? And <laughs> they just don't want you to say transgender. They're like, Basically. how dare you? How dare you not let it remain subtext? <laughs> we wanted subtext and only subtext. <laughs> a lot of the feedback was from the queer community who was like, oh, that's so... It, you're trying too hard. And like, well, we had the option of keeping it subtext and going light on it, or we had the option of throwing it in your face. And if you if you left it as subtext, like people would have still been mad. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So we went with loud. And also because these are books published on a schedule, we didn't really, we didn't put it aside for a week or two. Like this had to be figured out during the final lettering stage where we had like four or five days to, to rework the script so that it fit with all of the final art and fit in the space. And, you know, because the art came in a little differently than what we described, some panels got rewritten. So, you know. Yeah, like there's logistical pieces sometimes I think people just don't think about, especially with something that's in the big two, you know? Like it's... Yeah. It's not like, ah, oh, Crystal's magical <laughs> gamma flight story that Crystal had all the control over and damn you. It's like, oh, this is. I wasn't even by... the only writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, could I have written a better line for that panel? Absolutely. Do I feel bad about the line I wrote in that panel? Not a bit. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. I say things imperfectly as a as a trans person. Sometimes I do dramatically yes. yell something when I could have said it much calmer. Yeah. Whoops, I'm alive. <laughs> it's fun because Gamma Flight actually launched, like I think, within a week of Cheer Up. So wow. seeing those two books like side by side mm. on the release shelves was surreal <laughs> because they're very different tones. Mm -hmm. And as I like to tell people, only one of them was I allowed to use the word bitch in. And it's the one aimed at teenage girls, not 20-year-old men. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, when are we going to get to the swear words? Is that is that the <laughs> No, it's it's weird because originally the, the script for Cheer Up, they say damn, they say bitchy. I think mm -hmm. there's a fuck in here somewhere. And, 
you know, when I turned it in, I'm like, uh, there's kind of a lot of swearing in here. So let me know if I need to go back and fix that. And my editor's like, we know how teenage girls talk. (laughs) (laughs) Surprising. (laughs) And then, you know, I, I turned in a script that had, I think I said, damn, at one point. And I got the the editor's note back, like, swearing makes Spider-Man cry. Oh, God. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's Not because the they're owned I by know. Disney. Yeah. That's Probably, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, doesn't Spider-Man live in a multiverse? I guarantee there's a Spider-Man who only says swear words. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, show and me I the will Spider-Man who one says day. fuck. <laughs> New life goal. <laughs> yeah, show me the Spider-Man who says fuck, and I promise you, she's trans. Fucking <laughs> 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 uh, right. Amazing. Well, oh my God, y'all. This has been so much fun. Cheer Up is such a beautiful graphic novel. I also read that it got uh, nominated for a GLAAD award, um, which is very cool. You know, GLAAD, whatever. But you guys getting nominated, very cool and deserved. And I hope there are many awards ahead. Um, Yeah, it's such a delightful, delightful graphic novel. So you can pick it up from Oni. Uh, also, make sure to check in with your local comic book store. They can probably order it for you and get it brought over or just also a regular bookstore. I've had some luck there as well. So, uh, Val, Crystal, why don't you go ahead and tell our, our listeners where they can find you online? Uh, I am Val Wise pretty much everywhere. Um, I'm at ValKWise.com. That's V-A-L-K-W-I-S-E. And that's also my Twitter and my Instagram handle. Uh, and I am Amazon Chic. Amazon.chique. I'm really only on Twitter anymore these days. Um, all my social medias are old. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also find me at thecrystalfraser.com, uh, but I don't update it very often. If you want to hear my witticisms, you'll have to come to Twitter. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, listeners, if you didn't have a pen out, we will link to all of that in the show notes. So wherever you're listening to this, go ahead and click that open and you will have links to websites, Twitter, the whole shebang. Monica, since you're here today with us, why don't you let people know where they can find you? So you can find me on Instagram at audreys.revenge.film and that is A-U-D-R-E-S. And you can find me on Twitter at Audrey Revenge, all one word. And we will, of course, link to Monica's handles as well. Uh, Val, Crystal, holy cow, what a day, what a life, what a way to kick off a week. I am feeling sky high. Thank you so much. Monica, you're a saint as always. Thank you for stepping in. I love you. Kate, you make us sound so smart, so brave, so cool. I love you. And listeners, we couldn't be here without you. You know the joke. We could be, but it'd be really awkward. So thanks for being here. you for listening to bitches on comics we are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture as you might have guessed you can follow us on twitter at at bitches on comics and on instagram at at bitches on comics our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com if you go there you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs I don't remember what it is I am in charge of updating the website however so 
Good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.